Let's open your Bibles with me to Galatians chapter 2. And we are working on one of the most important verses in the Bible. We've been studying through the book of Galatians and we've learned, uh, I think, what most people who know anything about the Bible know, and that Galatians, the theme, the great theme of the book of Galatians is that salvation is by grace, not by works. Isn't that right? But that's not the only theme. There are, there are uh, parallel themes. And that is, number one, that salvation is by grace without the works of the law, but also that we serve God by faith and by grace, not by works of the flesh. We didn't do anything to get our salvation, and we don't do anything to keep our salvation. He keeps it for us. The great themes of the book of Galatians. Let's look at, start reading in verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We, who are Jews by nature, and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by, faith of, by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. This is a familiar passage, and if you'll remember, you know what, let's just take the time to go to there. Go to Mark chapter 6 with me. This is a warning against familiarity. Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, we have demonstrated for us a process of unbelief. A process of unbelief. Look at verse 1. And he went out from thence and came into his own country. So he was back to Nazareth. And his disciples follow him. And that is the biblical definition of discipleship, isn't it? Disciple is one who follows Christ. Follow with the intent to learn and learns with the intent to obey. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon, and are not here... And, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And I'll look at verse 5. One of the most amazing verses in the Bible. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. Here in this text, you see the process of unbelief. You see, at the beginning, if notice what it says, and they were astonished in verse 2, in the middle of the verse, and, uh, and were they were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? See, they thought they knew him. Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph, and are not his sisters here with us? And if you come from a Roman Catholic background, you might notice here that Jesus had brothers and sisters. Is that, is that what the Bible said? That takes care of the perpetual virginity of Jesus Christ, or of Mary, doesn't it? <laughs> Man, I'm tired. <laughs> Pray for me. Lord only knows what heresy is going to come out of my mouth this morning. <laughs> but that does do away with that perpetual virginity of Mary, doesn't it? All right. So then, look at what it says. They thought they knew him. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? 
They really thought they knew him, but they didn't really know him. They knew him as a man, but they didn't know him as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so that familiarity led them to unbelief. Look at what the Bible says in ver- at the end of verse 3, and they were offended at him. They didn't believe him. Because they thought they knew him, they were so familiar with him, they didn't believe in him. And familiarity leads to unbelief. Unbelief leads to powerlessness. Verse 5, and he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. See, when we don't believe, the power of God is gone. Now, does the power of God still exist? It's just not accessible to us because the only way we can access it is by faith. So if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you become so familiar with him, so familiar with the forms that you miss the reality. You know, you come to church, you know when to stand up, you know when to sit down, you know the words to the song. You can be singing a song and thinking about everything else in the world. How many of you ever found yourself doing that? Yeah, me too. One time when I was in Bible college, this guy had fallen asleep. (laughs) And one of my buddies, he, he said, he shook him and he said, hey, Dr. Evans wants you to pray. And so this guy stands up and starts praying. <laughs> and there was a guy up there preaching. <laughs> it was awesome. But what happened? He knew exactly what to do. It was just in the wrong place. See, we, we all can become really familiar with our faith, can't we? You know, and, and these great truths like the truth of justification, we can become so familiar with it that it becomes trite. And then look at what happens. He could there do no mighty work, save that he healed a few sick folk. Then look what the next verse says, verse 6. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went round about the villages teaching. He just left. Do you see that? He left them. That, now, let me say this. We don't have to worry about that if we're born again. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? That's what the Bible says. But here, he just left them. But notice there was a majority response and a minority response. The majority said, we know this guy. He's just a man. We don't need him. But there were a few that believed. And he healed them. See, we need to have that minority response this morning. When we go to Galatians chapter 2 and we start studying through these familiar and famous passages, we need to not say, I already know this. I don't need to look at this again. It's like someone said, we must preach the gospel to ourselves lest we become discouraged. We've got to understand that this truth of justification is just as true for us today as it was the day we first believed. Amen? So now let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Let's look at it. Knowing that a man is not, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Now look at, verse, look at the first word of verse 16. Knowing. Knowing. Well, who is doing... The knowing. Well, first of all, I want to say this. Aren't you glad that we have a know-so faith? Uh, Hereby know we that we have passed from death unto life. Amen? The Bible says, These things write unto you that believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you may know that you have eternal life. This is not a know-nothing faith. And this is something that's very important to me, because as a young man, I almost walked away from the Lord. Can you imagine? Now, I don't think God would have let me do that. But in my mind, I'd been to this Bible college, and honestly, some of the people were such jerks that I said, if this is Christianity, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And so I walked away. 
And a friend gave me, his name is Jim Reed. I'd love to track down Jim Reed sometime. Jim gave me this book. Actually, he loaned them to me and I never gave them back. But anyway, um, <laughs> he gave me this set of books called The Complete Works of Francis Schaeffer. And Francis Schaeffer was called The Missionary to the Intellectual. And I thought I was an intellectual. And so I started reading Schaeffer and found out that I was not an intellectual. But what happened as I read Schaeffer was I found out that, that the foundation of all that my father, my father was a pastor, was still a preacher, all that he had taught me was true. And he worked, as I read that, those books, he spoke to my mind and, and, and really enlivened me to study God's word better. And to be ready to give an answer to anyone that asks a reason of the hope that's in me with, with meekness and fear. And that idea that we have answers. I'll tell you the kind of answer that really bothered me as a young man. Well, well just believe it. Well, because I said so. Now, for a three-year-old, it's because I said so. Amen? Don't you love watching people debate with a three-year-old? No. If you eat... The broccoli, instead of the worms, you'll grow big and strong. Oh, I know you want to eat the worms, honey. You're such a good boy. Just eat the stinking broccoli. Put the worms down or I'm going to wear you out. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but at some point, we have to establish our children with the reality of the faith that we're teaching them. And our faith is based on the authority of the Word of God, and based on that authority, we have answers for every issue of life. We have not a know-nothing faith. We have a know-everything faith. We can rely on the Word of God. It's true. We can know some things. So what's being spoken of in verse 16? Knowing. Who knows? Well, look at what it says. Verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus, Jesus Christ... Even we have believed. Now, who is the we? Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul didn't disagree on salvation by grace through faith. Let's, let's make sure that we get that. Keep your place in Galatians and go back to Acts chapter 15. Remember what's going on. Church at Jerusalem, people were teaching that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Acts 15 verse 1. And remember, Paul was the disciple or the apostle to the uncircumcision. Peter was the apostle to the circumcision. It identifies that in Galatians 2. So now look at Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, ye cannot be saved. Now that would be a tough soul winning plan right there. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had... <laughs> it would... And when therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. And being brought on their way, the church, or by the church, they passed through Phoenice and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy unto all the brethren. So as they're going through, they're, they're telling that Gentiles are being saved, and so these Jewish churches are getting excited about that. And verse 4. 
And when they were come to Jerusalem, they were received of the church and of the apostles and elders, and they declared all things that God had done with them. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which believed, saying... So these are Pharisees that got saved, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when, they, and when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles, by my mouth, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us, and put no difference between them and us, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So look at what he says. Even we who were Jews couldn't live under that. Why should we who are believers now put a yoke on them that our fathers couldn't keep? All right, look at what he says. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved, even as they. Would you all say amen to that? The salvation is by grace. So now let's go back to Acts or to, to Galatians 2. So look at what it says. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed. Who's the we? Peter and Paul. They don't disagree about salvation by grace through faith. They don't disagree that salvation is by faith, not by the works of the law. They agree on that. He's saying to Paul, knowing this, let's tie that again. Look at verse 15. We who are Jews by nature. He's talking to Peter. We're, you and I, we're Jews by nature. But even us, we're saved by faith. That's the only way to be saved. So the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter didn't disagree. So what was the problem? Peter's behavior. See, sometimes our behavior can undermine our, our, our belief. Our behavior can teach something that we don't really believe. That's why it's so important that our walk matches our talk. I think it was Bob Jones Sr. who said, your walk talks and your, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let's all say that together. You ready? No, it's true. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. It is true. And Peter's talk was teaching false doctrine. I'm sorry, his walk was teaching false doctrine, even though his talk was right. So how does that affect us? Our practice is just as important as our doctrine. We got to live our faith. Amen? That was a really good place for an amen. All right. Acts 6, verse 16 again. So knowing, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter didn't disagree with this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, some Bibles, where the word but is right there in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, they have except. That's a big difference. So if you're believing in Jesus Christ, 
then your works justify you. You see how important one word is? Very important. There's another thing that's very interesting. Look at verse 16. Knowing that, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That works of the law, the phrase works of the law, is found nowhere in the New International Version of the Bible. Now, it's supposed to be easier to read. But the NIV would say observing the law. Now, how many of you understand there's a difference between observing something and believing that it's working for you, that your works are doing it? Very important. So when we look at the words of the Bible, it's important that we have the right words, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Next thing. By the faith in Jesus Christ. What does your Bible say? How many of you hadn't noticed that? Because what we do, we know that we're supposed to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Is that right? So sometimes what we do is we transpose or we we superimpose a word in our mind over what's in the text. How many of you have ever been driving on the road and you see a billboard and you read it? You know, you, you read it real fast and you think, man, that's weird. And you look at it and you substituted a word. You know, has that happened with you? And you, you, your mind can think that, man, that was advertising that. Well, we do that when we're reading the Bible also. So what is this talking about? The faith of Jesus Christ. Well, let's let the Bible interpret it. Go to um, so many places. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. All of us who have been through discipleship know this verse, and some of us who haven't been through discipleship know this verse. Here at Grace Baptist, if you don't know what I'm talking about, we have one-on-one discipleship. If you would like to know God's Word better and be able to explain it to someone else, we will assign you. If you're a man, we'll assign you a man. If you're a lady, we'll assign you a lady. And we will teach you the Word of God. That's what our discipleship is, and part of that is memorization of Scripture. But look at verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, what's the that? The faith. And that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right, so the faith is a gift of God. Faith is not a work. Faith is not something that's in you that you possess. Faith, the faith to believe, is a gift from Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? God gives you the ability to believe. Y'all aren't nearly as excited about this as I am. God gives us the gift of faith. While I was in Seattle, or Yakima, last week... um, this man came to the table, he's an older gentleman, and he was looking at my book table, and one of the books that uh, we sell is The Other Side of Calvinism by Lawrence Vance. And he said, is this pro-Calvinism or anti? And I said, well, this would be against it. And he said, well, then I don't want it. I'm a sovereign grace preacher. And I said, well, good for you. (laughs) And uh, he said, I'm not like you Baptist Methodists. Honestly, I've been around this for a little while now, you know, 30 years of, of, you know, being familiar with these things. I've never heard anybody called that before, Baptist Methodist. And I said, what, what are you talking? I started laughing. I couldn't help it. I said, what are you, especially me, 
You know, if you're a guest, you don't understand this. I travel doing uh, Y Baptist conferences. And so to call me a Baptist Methodist was kind of funny. And uh, so I said, why am I a Methodist? And he said, because you preach the same gospel that the Methodists preach. And I said, well, where John Wesley and we agree about salvation by grace through faith, yes, we, absolutely, that's the gospel that we preach. I said, the only problem is he was probably closer to your position than he was mine because everybody that you love baptized babies. Right? And I said, he said, well, Ephesians chapter 1, we're chosen from the foundation of the world. And I said, yeah, here, look at it. Ephesians chapter 1, look at it with me. Should just be right across the page from you if you have a good Bible. That's funny. Um, Ephesians chapter 1, if it's not across the page, it doesn't mean you have a bad Bible. That was a poor attempt at humor. (laughs) All right, look at what the Bible says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. All right, so he's writing to believers, isn't that right? Is that clear? Is that clear to everybody? Okay, I'll start over. I will. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. What does it say right there? Okay, so why are we blessed? Because we are in Christ. Now, grammatically, is that clear? All right, then look at the next verse. According as he hath chosen us, what does it say right there? Before the foundation of the world. So those of us who are in him, that's what it says. If you just look at the at, at, at the at the words, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So everyone from the foundation of the world, everyone who is in Christ, was chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Before him in love. It's very clear. But look at verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory. Who what? Now, what does first mean? And so I asked this man that. I showed him that. He said, he said that, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's very easy to defend your position when you take your knife and cut words out of the Bible. Remember in, in Jeremiah, the king's pen knife, he took and cut up the Bible, threw the pieces he didn't like into the fire until it was all gone. You see, when, you, when your theological position requires you to remove words from the Bible, you might want to find another theological position. And I said, what this passage is teaching very clearly is all of these are characteristics of people that are in Christ. How do you get in Christ? That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The, the chronology is very clear. You trust in him after you hear the word of God and believe it. That's how you trust in him. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's very clear. And so this guy started, you know, challenging me some. And so I just went through the the tulip outline, total depravity. You teach total depravity. That means total inability. Nowhere in the Bible is that taught. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever will, let him taste of the water of life freely. So, so that, you, you know, that position is wrong. Unconditional election. You teach that, the, that God has, by his will, chosen some people for heaven and some people for hell. But God wills some people to go to hell. And the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So your position's wrong on that. Limited atonement. You teach that Jesus Christ only died for the elect. He only died for those who would be saved. The Bible says he tasted death for every man. He says, well, that doesn't mean every man. I said, fine. The Bible says, and he's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Well, that doesn't mean everybody. I said, irresistible grace. Stephen, in his sermon, said, how long resist you the Holy Ghost? Jesus Christ said, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen does her chicks? And ye would not. I said, so Jesus Christ said they were resisting him. Stephen preached to the Jews that they were resisting him. So apparently the Holy Ghost can be resisted. Your irresistible grace is not true. And perseverance of the saints, that is, that's their teaching, that if a person really believes, they'll persevere to the end. Well, the Bible says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. He keeps it. I don't keep it. It's the perseverance of Jesus Christ, not the perseverance of the saints. Amen? And he said, well, that's fine, and left. <laughs> Bye. And there were some young preachers standing around. And one of the young preachers said, that was awesome. <laughs> and he said, man, I wish I could do that. I said, man, you can do that. You know every one of those verses that I just quoted. You just have to be ready to give an answer. But what happens when we read these texts, we have to understand where our faith comes from that faith is a gift from the Lord Jesus Christ to everyone. Let's see whether or not we believe that. Go to Romans chapter 4. Oh, you know what? It's Ephesians chapter 4. Sorry. We are already in Ephesians. That would have been easier. Verse 7, But unto every one of us, is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It's the, the, the grace, the faith, in when the Bible is talking about Abraham, it says that God has given everyone the measure of faith. So the Bible makes it very clear that even our faith is a gift from God. And it's such an important thing for us to grasp. That salvation is not by works of any kind. The ability to be saved is a gift from God. The mind to be able to process the information and accept it or reject it is a gift from God. Uh, let me give you one other problem with that Calvinistic system. And I didn't say this to him, and I thought about it this morning, and I wish I had. That your, uh, Here's what I would have said to him. Your system makes God the author of sin. And the Bible says God is not the author of sin. Does it say that very clearly? Arthur Pink, he was a Baptist, but he was a Calvinist. He wrote in his commentary on Genesis that Adam had to eat of the fruit. He had no choice. See, because what the Calvinistic system teaches is that God, in eternity past, before creation, through one ultimate decree, decreed everything that would ever happen. Everything that would ever come to pass, God ordained that, or He's not sovereign. 
You see what they've done? They've redefined the sovereignty of God. Uh, and, and I asked a, I, a Calvinist was debating me one time, and I didn't even want to be doing it. I'd called him and got, I, I called a friend of mine and got his brother. His brother had been out to master's college and came back a five-point Calvinist and, and enjoys debating that. And so we started talking, and I, I, I said to him this. I said, there was a two-year-old girl in our, in our town that was molested. Was that God's will? He said it had to be. Is that shocking? Honestly, is that shocking? That's what that Calvinistic system causes. Because anything that happens in the world must be the will of God. That is simply not true. God created freedom. And in creating freedom, man had the opportunity to choose right or wrong. Man is the author of evil. Not God. Not God. So it's really important that we understand that this free will that God has given us. Now, if you're here and you think that there are only two options, the Calvinistic system or the Arminian system, and that is the Arminian system teaches salvation by works and uh, that you can lose your salvation, or Calvinism where God has chosen some people for heaven, some people for hell, and if he's chosen you for heaven, then you're going to be saved and you're going to live the Christian life the rest of your life. Are either of those positions taught in the Bible? No. We, don't, we reject both of those. Free will does exist. If any man will, let him taste of the, take of the water of life freely. If he will, let him take freely. We have will. There's no doubt about that. Now, this will allows us to accept the free gift of eternal life or reject the free gift of eternal life. But this, this word, that's very simple, by the faith of Jesus Christ. Salvation is by grace, by faith, but even the faith comes from Jesus Christ. You see how powerful the word of God is? Every word teaches something so important. Remember, when you study the Bible, that principle of measured words... The Bible says that if, that if everything that Jesus Christ did were recorded, I suppose the books of the world could not contain it. That's John chapter uh, uh, 31 uh, or chapter 21. So that's the principle of measured words, that God had a limited, chose to use a limited amount of space in the word of God. And every word is there on, important, is there on purpose. Every word is important. And our understanding of salvation by grace, this idea of justification, God declaring us righteous, it's so important for us to see that that is the gift of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you're born again. I hope that you understand that what you believe, what you believe has eternal ramifications. But it's not enough just to believe it. You have to live it. The problem is, in our churches, you know what we've done? We've asked people to live it without knowing what they believed. They don't know. Let me read something to you. This is a doctrinal statement. Justification, and remember what justification is. That's God's legal declaration of righteousness. All right? Justification is conferred in baptism, the sacrament of faith. It conforms us to the righteousness of God, 
who makes us inwardly just by the power of his mercy. Is that correct or incorrect? Incorrect. We're not justified by baptism. We're justified by faith. Here's another one. And this is how important this is to these people. If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved, listen, and also increased before God through good works, but that said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. Now listen, there's nothing I can do to be better, and there's nothing I can do to be worse. You understand that, right? I'm a sinner. And that when Jesus Christ saves me, there's nothing else I have to do to be saved. I can't be more saved or less saved. I'm either saved or I'm not. Amen? I, I, I'm either born again, it's something that happens at a point in time where my sin is exchanged for Christ's righteousness. That happens at a point in time. Is that right? I'm either saved or I'm not. Here, what this statement says is that your faith and your works increase your righteous standing before God. And if anyone says that's not true, let him be anathema, damned to hell. That's what that word anathema means. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul used that same word. If anyone bring another gospel which is not another, let him be accursed. That's anathema. Same word. Now, how many of you think that what this statement is is different than what the Bible says? Isn't that right? Here, let me see if there's another one here. I think there is. Here's, here's another one. It is to be maintained that the received grace of justification is lost, not only by infidelity, whereby even faith itself is lost, but also by any other mortal sin whatsoever. So not only is your faith your faith and the receiving of the ordinances or of the sacraments, baptism, justifies you. And then through your good works, you're made more and more righteous till ultimately you stand before God. What they're saying is not only that, not only that, but if you commit any mortal sin, you've lost it. And there's only one remedy for that. There is a remedy for it. Aren't you glad they gave you a remedy? And it says, as regards those who by sin have fallen from the received grace of justification, they may be again justified when God, exciting them through the sacrament of penance. Oh, oh wait a minute. Did I reveal who this is from? Look, when God, exciting them through the sacrament of penance, they shall have attained to the recovery by the merit of Christ of the grace lost. For this manner of justification is of the fallen, the reparation, which the Holy Fathers have aptly called a second plank after the shipwreck of grace lost. You see, what you believe really does matter. We do not have the same faith. The Roman Catholic faith. How many of you have loved ones who, are, who practice the Roman Catholic faith? They need to hear the gospel. Amen? Amen. They, they, they need to hear... The, we don't need to argue about all the points of doctrine. They simply need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their only hope of eternal life, not by works of righteousness, which we, which we have done, 
but by His mercy, He saved us. How was that grace received? Here's what they say. Whoso receiveth not faithfully and firmly cannot be justified. Receiveth what? The Mass. So if you don't receive the Mass, the Eucharist, the, the wafer and the cup, if you don't receive that faithfully and firmly, you cannot be justified. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, we need to understand that not every faith is the same. But we also need to understand we believe right. Isn't that right? Uh, somebody said to me, do you think you're the only one that's right? Or no, I, I said this, you think you're right, don't you? Well, yeah, I don't think I'm wrong. But we have the Word of God. We have the authority of the Word of God to stand on. We are right. Would you all agree with that? But we're not right if we don't live right. What we believe may be right, but our, but our walk may be undermining the hope of another person coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there are a lot of people that walk away from the Lord because of the behavior of other Christians. I almost did. So we have to understand that having this doctrinal knowledge, it's vital. Amen? But we have to live it also. And, and remember what the Bible says. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to any man that asks a reason of the hope that's in you. In meekness and in fear. See, the way we share our faith is just as important as the faith we share. We've got to live our faith in the right way. But aren't you glad that you don't have to earn your salvation? That you've received it as a free gift. I hope you've received it. If you haven't received it, you can today. If you're trusting in something other than the blood of Jesus Christ, you need to be born again. You can get that done today. You can leave here a new creature. You can leave here sure of heaven. Those of us who are sure of heaven, we need to know what we believe and be ready to live it and speak it out in the community. Otherwise, knowing it just isn't really that helpful. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word.